I'm John Paul Murphy. And I'm Christian Humes. And you're listening to Watch World. On this episode, we'll be discussing Season 2, Episode 5 of Westworld, titled Akane no Mai. The midway point of the series. Here we are, halfway. What do you think so far of Lost World? I mean, sorry, Westworld so far of uh, (laughs) halfway through the season. Well, so here's what I'll say is this episode, as much as I enjoyed it, felt much slower and felt much more like a season one episode of Westworld to me than anything in season two. It also followed up what is arguably the best episode in the series. So as good as it was, it also maybe felt You know, like it was a little bit slower and lower in energy. This was a return to a more traditional episode. I think it felt like almost like a bottle episode because it felt like a very specific adventure um, in an overall sense. I think for most fans, I think they actually like this. Reading last week's episode and the responses overall, a lot of people did not get it as far as like, you know, I think for us as true viewers. so good. All right, well, let's not we be gatekeepers. It. We're I not know. being gatekeepers here. But I hear what you're saying. They're the people that want to watch this show and have a more passive experience, which if that's how you want to enjoy Westworld, go for it. Likely you're not listening to the show, but some of you may be. Some of you maybe are, and you don't want to spend time thinking and theorizing about it, but you want to have a better grasp on it, so maybe you're listening to us, and that's great as well. And if you are listening to us, make sure you... Uh rate and comment and like us on itunes and oh other yeah formats so super appreciate that super appreciate that it helps us out a great deal what's interesting to me is i'm glad they sort of wrapped up i feel like the shogun world in one episode for the most part yes i think they they got into what exactly they needed to got in got out just like the heist you know. yeah it also makes me a little bit less interested in the other worlds now that we know lee's kind of uh admittance of how lazy they are in the creativeness yeah, although it feels like maybe Shogun World is relatively new, but it's it's hard to say. Aren't we setting ourselves up with that? Because remember a couple episodes back, we discussed the idea of if Westworld is the original and Ford was the driving creative force and also mm-hmm. like Lee and all these other characters were the driving force, it would make sense that the other worlds were very carbon copy of Westworld and also weren't that interesting beyond visually what like they are. Yeah, I mean, Raj World seemed very different as far as the experience, whereas Shogun World did seem like it was a almost carbon copy. Like, it was... Yeah, and I could also tell they really did film that, like, just outside of L.A. (laughs) It, like, did not look like Japan at all, you know? Which, like, if you think about it, like, if it all takes place on the same island, probably Mm. geographically they can't change too much. And maybe I mean it's it's hard to say, right? Like if they can make if they can terraform, yeah, and also if they can three D print life. We saw all of the flora in Raj World. It made them look like they were in a real jungle. So it's hard to say. Hard to say. Hard to say. But before we before we dive in though, I was actually like last week I gave a shout out. This week I want to give a shout out. I kind of want to give a shout out every week. Going yeah, forward, sure, sure. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Thandie Newton and her ability to act with uh, in Japanese. Oh, how much of that do you think was dubbed? Yes, because there were a lot of noticeable dubbed moments during this episode. I I don't want to give ever get like doubt the actor 
for trying. No, I mean, so that's why I like, first want to give a shout multiple out. Multiple parts which sounded like straight up voice work. Yeah, yeah. but again, I'm, I'm just playing my bases here. Yeah, <laughs> not that she's not incredible. She is. Her and Jeffrey Wright, I believe, are two of the most interesting actors on the show. Obviously, Evan Rachel Wood. She's she's great, crushing it. I think everyone's yeah. great here. I think, but yes, I think Bernard and Thandy Newton playing Maeve definitely i think have a lot to work with and i think they they do a good job but so whether or not they are whether or not she is dubbed in the episode i just want to give a shout out to her performance overall in this episode i think it really stood out um yeah but, that's definitely true but let's okay so let's dive in um we actually don't start in shogun world uh we start back in the i guess current timeline which is two weeks from the four death um we're with bernard back in the mesa uh, Carl Strand is basically they're doing cleanup where they're pulling all the bodies out of the reservoir uh, water mm-hmm. um, and just kind of going through them, removing their sort of cortex brains, analyzing them. Carl learns from his little like tech guy that basically a third of the hosts that they pulled are not wiped, but what he what he calls virgin, like they are completely void of data. And no sense of any type of wipe or erasement or anything like that. What did you take from this? I think it's something new. It's, again, it's like it's something as far as coding wise beyond our understanding of what like oh. code is. It's like a new. It's okay. a new thing. I believe this is one of two things, and this is either the work of Bernard or this is the work of the weapon. Mm. I think that, that could it, be true. It, it if the weapon allows. The br- like the host brains to self wipe that would be a pretty powerful weapon. Explain to me in what way. As far as I just want to kind of get a better understanding of where you're coming from for this. Well, I mean, he built this right, and he built. He said he wishes he hadn't built it, which is something he says now. Now that he sees the hosts have real autonomy in a way that they never had before, so it leads me to believe that the weapon. Because why would he build a weapon that would hurt humans? It leads me to believe believe the thing he calls the weapon is a weapon against the hosts i would assume something that allows them allows him to destroy the host data and make it unreadable unrecognizable is really powerful because the rest of delos wants that host data so if he could completely wipe it yeah the way that carl is talking about it's like basically they lost their ip right it's like he built himself a dead man switch maybe he was worried that one day someone would come for him or he would be replaced and so he built a backup to say it's like, almost like an EAP. A, yeah or... exactly that's exactly what i believe it it's something like that okay in this scene we also learn about something called the cradle yeah which we've heard of before and i think it showed up in blueprints but we haven't been there and we haven't had anyone talk about it really right um and they were they basically say how it's been it's been destroyed or bombed out or fired out so yep. i'm guessing you think that i think as well Bernard has been there. Yes. And he has uh, self-destroyed it for some, you know, which we will find out. But yeah, and I, I'm assuming we will see the cradle here soon. Yeah. Shortly, if not <laughs> next episode. I'm trying to think about like what else we see here. We saw Teddy again. Security. Well, yeah. And we also saw the security woman who came in from outside from Delos. Yeah. The one who was originally holding Bernard's card at the start. Yes. Which I have a theory, it's it's possible they know about Bernard, and they're playing him to try and get data out of him. But let's just table that. Let's just table that, because I, 
It's just it's just a feeling I have that it's possible that the people in the, the cards the way- are like they're like marked as hosts, but don't touch them. Yes, and make them feel like they are they've yes. gotten away with it. That's a good that's a good idea. Although at this at the same time, I think it's also possible that this Bernard isn't the Bernard we're watching, and he's the Ball Bernard. He's Arnold. There's so much going on with that character that it feels like there's. There's so many different possible theories. I don't want to get into all of them at the moment. But a great thing that we saw happen with her was she conf- she has completely confirmed now the existence of this this lake being new. Yeah. We're going to drain it, meaning it was not full before, and they're going to bring everything back. And it's weird that these guys are so focused on making the park operate again as a functional park. Yeah, it's kind of very almost like futile in a sense where it's like at this point too many people have died i don't know how you recover but unless they replace all the people that left and no one knows i mean that's a great way to um it's kind of like their version of nobody dies at disneyland oh god do you know that policy no this is sort of a rumor it's not true but people like to make this rumor up that Disneyland likes to, likes to say that nobody dies at Disneyland. So if you actually do die there, they wait until you're out of the park to pronounce you dead. That's really dark. Yeah. And, and I, it's not true, but they would say that, like, oh, it's so the not ca- tr- <laughs> Again, I don't want to say it's true, but I'm also going to spread the rumor. But, like, the there was a, a man recently, maybe like 20 years ago, that, like, lost, he got basically decapitated on Thunder Mountain Railroad because he stood up like an idiot. And, they actually didn't declare him dead until they took him out of the park <laughs> because somehow they wanted like claim that nobody dies within the park. <laughs> so this is Dallas's version of that. <laughs> you don't die at all. All right. So um, that's uh, it okay. with Bernard, right? For the rest of the episode? Yep. That's basically with Carl and Bernard coming this fall to NBC. Um, they keep teasing us with Bernard. I have to say, I'm bummed that you were right at the beginning of the season, and it's like we're going to spend the whole season catching up for the last two weeks. Because all the stuff I obviously, and I think we all want to see, as much as the last two weeks are important, is I want to see what's happening right now with Bernard. Yeah, they kind of have that moment there where Carl kind of gives this weird monologue about we're just trying to figure out what happened, all the storyline. Right. He literally just kind of recaps what the show's about. Yeah. He's like, we're... We're seeing what happens, and we're just trying to see what the turn is after we figure out what happens. And that's and that's the problem is I know Bernard's safe, but he's safe in a very dangerous situation. Hey, did you notice, first of all, it's weird he still doesn't have glasses. I feel like it's meant to really signify something about him. That, yeah, that he's not the same. And did you notice he's, his hand's not shaking? Like, he doesn't seem to be having any cognitive issues currently. No, that's that shaking's given to a different character in this episode, but we'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I think he is, there's something different about him. Now, whether it is he's a completely new body and new type of person, who knows? We'll see. But we have not been shown that yet. So let's get into Shogun World. We catch up basically where we were left off with Maeve and company. We are introduced to Musashi, uh, who is played by Hiroyuki Sanada who, if you don't really remember that, if you recognize that actor but don't know who he's from, he's from The Wolverine, he's from Lost as your favorite show. Yeah, he was Dogen. Yeah, so he's kind of been around in American television and movies, uh, kind of by the edge, but he's a great actor. I loved his role in this. Always, like, a, a great. So we learned, basically, that he is Hector in Shogun World. 
Right. He is the what they call a ronin, which is what they call a masterless samurai in in Japanese uh, lore. A cowboy of sorts. Yes. <laughs> um, I love just a shout out randomly to the movie Ronin itself. Uh, if you ever see that movie, great movie. Has nothing actually to do with um, <laughs> Japanese culture. It's just titled Ronin, but takes place in France with Jean Renault and all these other crazy people. But great movie. Check it out when you can. Musashi takes uh, Maeve and company. They take him uh, captive. He picks up really early on that she can command people by her voice. Mm-hmm. So she gags her and then t- is taking her to the nearest town. Yeah, it's interesting that they didn't kill them. Like, very early on with this episode, it's really become beyond apparent that the idea of consciousness with these hosts is very limited to only a handful of them. Yes, only certain ones kind of get this certain higher knowledge about what's going on. Right. Um, And it seems to be the same types of characters. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we really get that here. It's almost like they share the same bond, too. Right. It's like characters bed, um, characters bred and born of conflict, you know, but most most of these characters are still in their narratives, and that's what makes this episode feel like such a flashback, and also in so many ways, I think, tells us that, hey, as cool as the idea of Samurai World was going to be, none of us are actually going to be as pumped about it as we thought, because ultimately, these characters are stuck in a play and we're not interested in the play anymore. We had the play last season. We're interested in what's going on behind the scenes. And the behind the scenes actors are the characters now we know and care about, not like the rest of the theater going on. Yeah, I, th- I, I would agree with that, except that I think with Shogun World, what's interesting is that Lee describes it as it's Westworld for experts. Right. And that you really need to know your shit in order to survive in this world. Yeah, and yet the man in black decides to stay in Westworld. Not, yeah, that's what was kind of interesting is that he has a Red, special attachment to Dolores. Yeah, I think he I think he also he feels like Westworld is the original, so right. that's where the the secrets lie. He's not interested where, in this where these other worlds are just carbon copies yeah. of Westworld. Yeah. Um slapped with something different. Shogun World though is pre-guns, so there's no guns in this world. It's all bow and arrows or samurai swords. I loved uh Musashi's uh weird spear club thing. That's that literally had. what I was just about to say. <laughs> he also, he's very much like the character Negan from The Walking oh. Dead, who has oh, yeah. this bat covered in barbed wire, except this thing is way crazier. Yeah, it's it was, when he was poking Hector with it, as far as I'm like, oh, that doesn't look bad, that like no. crazy. And then he kills that one guy when they go to town. I'm like, oh, this is like way crazier than. <laughs> so when they than first get to town and she's like, I recognize this. My first thought was actually that she was maybe once repurposed there at a time, and then... No, so I picked up on when it was a copy, when it, they show the kids putting the beetle on the man's head, mm. and it's a throwback to season one, episode one, where the kids are putting the scorpion on the, right. the guy's head, the drunk's head. Right. And so that was like, oh, this is a... It's sweet water, but it's sort of redone. Right after they, they do yeah, that yeah. armistice says, this all feels so familiar. Do you believe, so he took those he took those narratives and he repurposed them. Do you believe he simulated their minds in this situation, which is why she has an awareness of it as well? 
I think so. You know? Yeah. Took their their narrative, simulated it. The only one really interesting thing I thought here was they saw the butterfly and she goes, oh, Mariposa. Yeah. It looks also kind of similar to the Dallas logo. (laughs) Yeah. It was popping up everywhere. It popped up on the flags later in the episode as well. Yeah, with the Shogun flags and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was a, a very interesting in that way. This Ronin character does not seem like he should be interested in this fucking safe, if I'm being completely honest here. No, he seems like he's been waiting to be unlocked almost. Yeah. Yeah, everything kind of plays out the exact same way as in episode one of season one. Even the Painted Black by Rolling Stones song plays, but it's a nice kind of cool Japanese version of the song. You've seen it before, so it's kind of boring, but also it's interesting to see that the Armistice version in shogun world uses a bow and arrow right to kill all these people and then you get the you basically get the same scene between hector and mave but between mushashi and akane uh in japanese which i thought was kind of just like a oh that's fun like this is a fun interesting sort of re-showing this scene but in a different from a totally different perspective and just almost culturally different it what's also nice about it is it gave us a bit of the experience that characters like the man in black have had where we see him and it's like he has all this knowledge of everything that no one else does and now we've seen this so many times that we're able to watch it and we know how all of it's going to go down and now even some of the hosts themselves are experiencing that and it's sort of giving us this common bond and helps us empathize better with the hosts in a way that i think obviously the writers want us to because this story is about the hosts; it's not really about the people so it was fun to see them sort of become that role did you ever play open world mass multiplayer games with kind of this kind of format with towns and everything like that yeah and quests Mm -hmm. yeah i think it's kind of funny when you when you play those games and you do the first couple towns and then after a while it's like all the towns have are the same in a sense they all have like the same shopkeepers and the same type of npcs and there may be some slight differences but it's like it's kind of emulating that in this episode they're showing you that each world kind of has the main town with all I mean, the main they, stuff. They even copied the tattoos. They yeah, except it's a, instead instead of a, a snake. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was funny. Is there anything else in this particular scene that you felt was notable? Other than we were introduced to Akane, from like, uh, which is the title of the episode, the character, who's played by Rinko Kikuchi, who, if you don't re- remember her, she is in Pacific Rim as well as a couple of other things. But she plays Mako Mori in Pacific Rim. I totally couldn't recognize her with the whole full geisha yeah, makeup. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so th- this episode's full of interesting Japanese actors that Here's a question for you. Do you believe that Maeve is conscious or do you believe that she's still on her narrative? You know, her narrative was to escape and infiltrate the real world. And in many ways she's still gathering forces to do that right now. I think she's still there's some pieces of that narrative in her but right now i feel like she's mostly off script and in this episode we she kind of starts to unlock what that means which is her whole thing this whole episode is that kind of she becomes as what the the characters in the shogun world describe her as the witch and she's able to neo she becomes neo in the matrix she's able to whisper to other hosts she doesn't have to say things to them right she can command them off of she got Wi-Fi. She got a Wi-Fi upgrade. Correct. <laughs> she can fly now. Not yeah. yet. But. I mean, we'll we'll get to that. I guess when that happens, what happens next when they we get a, let's get out of there. 
Let's go back to Sweetwater. Do you think uh, Armistice and her Shogun clone are going to have some sort of weird like relationship? Oh, I think they already just had sex upstairs. Yeah, right? I think they have some something going on up there. Especially now that Hector has no interest in her anymore. Oh yeah, they're 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 that ship is. Tr- I feel kind of bad for Hector because like in the sense that like in this episode too, because he's gonna start getting left behind like often like Teddy. I think we might see a relationship between Lee and Maeve by the end of this. Uh, okay, yeah, that could be there, but I, that's why I feel bad for Hector because he's kind of like he doesn't really have anybody, and now he just met his ver- his a better version of himself, a better version <laughs> that's gonna take over for him. So we head to Sweetwater. Dolores and Teddy, they reach Sweetwater with their gang. The train's uh, following there. Following the fort. Bodies everywhere. The train is there. I got to ask, why the hell do you think she has the host wearing masks? Like, she still has them all hooded up and, and stuff. Like, what's going on? But not all on? of them. Not all of them. They're but still, a lot those of are, them. Those are still Wyatt's kind of. Oh, that's the right. Wyatt side of her right. brain. It's so weird. And it's they go into that. They go into the the saloon and the... The poker new dealer's there. The guy's the poker... still dealing cards. Like he's just yeah. sitting there, his dead bodies around. And he's just like, as if there's yeah, and, and the and the new Clementine's there. Pieces. Okay, that that to me, this is that moment's one of the best moments of the whole episode. Really? Okay. So very much like we saw in Shogun World when the characters met mimicked versions of themselves. Clementine, in an even more creepy way, comes across the new version of Clementine. And yeah. the new Clementine even says something about Maeve to Teddy, which is kind of weird. And Clementine's just sitting there mouthing, saying the words she that, would say at the same time. That happens multiple times this episode where characters either finish each other's sentences or mouth the same thing. <laughs> it's a lot of like like retreading the same track record. You know? I feel like Clementine is on a journey to her own consciousness that a lot of other characters are not on. And that she is actually, I think she has one of the most suffering and interesting stories. The look on her face was just pure, just misery. She has seemingly well, yeah, because her lost like, Teddy the will ha- to exist. Does not know really about what her being is, what her existence is. That actress does an incredible job. She did very little in that scene, and yet sold so much emotion. For her and I still, I would still prefer her Clementine versus the new one. Well, if yes. I was in Westworld, <laughs> yeah, you know, the new one is more of a traditional looking kind of thing. I like, I like how interesting that the the old Clementine is. She just oh. looks so like intriguing. Yeah, she has a very unique look to her. The actress who plays her, she does an incredible job, yeah. and the makeup's done a wonderful job with her as well. Yeah, they make her look so tired. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> They really do. So, yeah. So, basically, Dolores orders her crew to start preparing the train to head back to its destination, basically. Remind me. Remind me. The train. I remember the train from the first season when William, young William, is on the train with Dolores. Does the train house the minigun or does the train get shot by the minigun? Oh, shit. I think it gets shot by the minigun. Because that minigun is totally going to have to show back up. Of course. It has. (laughs) Which you would think that, given the technology that Delos may have, they wouldn't again use short range, you know, machine guns <laughs> again. <Yeah. laughs> I the... wonder how many of these people set being sent in with Delos are actually human. There, you think they're just? I think hosts? some of these are might be even more hosts. 
I think other than maybe a handful of the leaders there, that a lot of the QA, and maybe that's why they, they were so reckless. And also that the lives of the QA team, the people that are coming to do cleanup, are so worthless to them, even if they are human, compared to the IP, because it's worth probably the equivalent of trillions of dollars, that they wouldn't want to just use rockets because they don't want the brains to be damaged. They want people to be sent in and taking them out. Like, Well, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Strategically, but I think that surgically. Maybe it's a commentary on modern corporate America or modern corporate world culture and that like they are they are actually real people and they're just yeah. not that valuable. Yeah. That's that's the other option. They're it either more valuable to just let them die yeah. than to let the let the IP get destroyed. Which is probably the actual answer. So <laughs> And kind of makes it a more compelling story, the way that they then show how little they seem to care. I think there was a lot of criticism about the third episode and that assault, but the thing that I enjoyed about that assault as kind of haphazard and crappy as it seemed was the fact that they seemingly had no regard for the security team. And I yeah. I think a lot of people saw that and just thought it was bad direction and bad action planning as far as creating the scene, but I think it was very purposeful. And that it got overlooked as to what they were trying to say. Yeah, no, I, I when I'm watching it, sort of don't think like, oh, this is unrealistic. Like, why would a they lot be of doing people, this? A lot of the feedback I know, I, online has I know some been, people would, but personally, yeah. like, you know, I like to joke in the comments that like, oh, why would they use short, you know, short range machine guns right. in a long range battle like that? But also you think about like, you know, they've never had to face a threat like this before. And they think it's just, oh, we're cleaning up and we're going to be fine. And like, they don't know that they can fight back in certain strategic ways so we get back to shogun world right yeah we get an emissary from the shogun um that how how is lee is like the stupidest human right he still hasn't figured this out he's still all every every 30 seconds that's not supposed to happen you're off narrative you're not supposed to know each other yeah he's so i think he's so stupid he's just so invested in what he made it's kind of like if, I don't know, like, you know, Stan Lee, he went to, like, something and then realized, like, Spider-Man isn't doing what he originally created him to be. He has a level of cognitive dissonance so powerful that he's not even at the point where he's unwilling to believe these characters are alive. He doesn't even seem to question if these characters are alive. He's, yeah, because he, what, he it's I an, don't know. It's an impossible <laughs> thought to him. So it's not even in his purview. When Maeve has that discussion with him, it's like the first time he's even considered it. He's like, oh. Well, think of him like a racist. He's like, it takes him a yeah. while to kind <laughs> of like understand what it's like no, not, not to be that, himself. It's, it's true because that's sort of what I think about with this. It's sort of, you know, for a long time, the the thought i was comparing it to my head was people who once thought and we're not going to get into flat earthers today but when society at large thought the world was flat when society at large thought you know the world was a few thousand years old or before we knew about evolution a lot of things that were world-changing events for humanity things that just upend your perception of what reality is are so hard to even give the slightest bit of credibility towards because Doing that also then makes you question everything you know about even yourself. It's just funny to see him as the narrative director 
a position that should have been similar to Ford struggle with even the concept of this. He just comes yeah. off as the dullest bulb in the bunch. Yeah, I think, and that's, I think, purposely done by the creative team of Westworld to not not the park, but the show um, to, I think, move the plot along. I think explore ideas because so what happens is we get a ninja attack. You always gotta get <laughs> ninja attack. It was so good though. <laughs> yeah, it was good. I good. But every every film that I don't know, American film that takes place in Japan has to have a ninja attack. They steal Sakura, which is essentially is the the Shogun World's version of Clementine. Yeah. Um, away from the the place they're staying at. Okay, I actually have a question about this. Very quick. Okay. It's hard to tell if she was meant to be the version of Clementine or. If she was also meant to be similar to the daughter character that Maeve had, it felt like there was both. sort of it's kind of both. Yeah, yeah, it's sort of both, right? Yes, which because is why I felt later, like later Maeve allows her to get killed. Yeah, I think there's some there's some that's why it's not completely identical to Westworld. There's some differences, but yes, I think Sakura takes uh, combines both of those characters. Yeah, um, so the so ninjas take sakura Maeve learns that she doesn't actually have to speak to command not just that i believe it's right before the ninja attack it's almost as if Maeve is seeing through the eyes of other people around her yeah she kind of has this like almost like it's like a flashback moment or a flash forward moment yeah or a flash, way. it's a, it's like a, a sideways she's almost astral projecting she's since this is lost world she characters. has a flash sideways yeah <laughs> So what she's doing here was explained to us earlier in the episode. Lee says to them that they all have the code for the other languages. It's easier for her to know it because she was a prostitute. So it's something she actually had access to. But deep down, they all have access to those codes. So if you speak the right language, they'll be able to hear it. They'll be able to read it and understand it. Oh, um, we kind of missed over it. But when they're being taken to this uh, Shogun world... uh, Sylvester, the uh, white technician, says to Lutz, the Asian technician, is like, why can't you oh speak the language? And Lutz is like, I'm fucking from Hong Kong, man. Yeah, that I was speak good. Japanese. That so was, was really like, good. We missed that, but I thought I wanted to bring that up. <laughs> so we find out they all have the ability to speak the different languages. It's a little bit more innate from her. The thing that separates Mabe from the other hosts for many reasons is that she had Lutz and she had Sylvester change her code. So that she actually knows how the code works and she was given admin privileges. So she, being told this, now knows sort of what to look for. What she's doing now is she's basically parsing all of her communication skills. So later when she becomes a Jedi Master, it's because as she's parsing through all those communication skills, she taps into the one that's not a spoken language. It's code. It's, it's like wireless. Wi-Fi. Yeah, it's a wireless connection. It's if if we were humans, it would be telepathy. But because we learned from Bernard in what was this the first episode when they make it into that first secret Delos lab, he tells Charlotte you can have the host communicate to one another to send messages to find out where they are and you know to yeah. He's like I and can it, have them all gather by they proximity exactly. And so she's just tapping into that communication device that they have because. Yeah. She knows now that she has access to those abilities. So when it first happened for a split second, I was like, oh, awesome. Then there was a split second where I was like, oh, this is going to kind of make everything really cheesy. 
And then I came right back to, this is going to be sweet. Like, I, <laughs> I had, like, a quick little back and forth of, uh, and it's like, you know what, screw it. She's the one. She's Neo now. This is awesome. Yeah, so she makes a ninja stab himself in the face. Oh, my God. And Lee, again, like you said, is shocked that she's able to do this. But so the ninjas, is she. The ninjas so is she. Get it was away. like a fight or flight moment. Yeah, I mean, like, cause she wanted to say she need she wanted to sh- shout out the command to tell him to stop, but she couldn't because they were closing her mouth, and that's why she's able to untap untap this sort of potential, yeah. which uh, but is a very animalistic, like human characteristic. The ninjas take Sakura though; they go and take her off to the shogun. Then the shogun's army shows up, <laughs> which I thought was like just thinking from a a battle perspective, you could have just sent in the army. Yeah. You didn't need to send it the ninjas. <laughs> you didn't need to send it. Because what ninjas. happens is the Shogun army that comes, Musashi and Hector and Armistice, and Armistice's Armistice <laughs> decide to hold, distract them while Maeve and the rest of them exit out the back to go find Shakura. And then Maeve, like, catching up back to our previous conversation, Lee is, again, like, dumbfounded as to why Maeve is now dead set on finding Sakura and he's like I thought your daughter was your your prerogative and she's like we're more than just you you still think like we're just our code like we we have this like this driven narrative in us but it's like you you still don't understand what we are he's so dumb I'm very disappointed in his lack of growth he's really being one of the most stubborn characters so far on the show which is, is good in a lot of ways because there are so few other stubborn characters. But he should be able to look at Sylvester and Sylvester should be talking to him like, listen, she's alive. Like, they're very smart. Don't. Yeah. Simply because Sylvester was the last but, one but of these Lee sort of probably stubborn views headed Sylve- people. Sylvester and, and Lutz as almost like janitors. Yeah. Like, he's so, he's so privileged in his role as sort of the the creative force of the park. Um, yeah. Really quick, because we didn't bring this up, when the guy first shows up with the quest and he comes to get Sakura, she, Akin kills him. Here's a question. Yeah. Ronan says, you know, they'll be back at night. And they're like, we need to leave. Why didn't they leave? I don't know. Maybe they, <laughs> they wanted this to happen. <laughs> Why didn't they go? Because uh, they, I don't know, maybe it's May. I forget, it wasn't like Maeve and... Just kind of thought it was fine. I, I guess. And then when they go to stall, first of all, I was like, why doesn't she just go use her new Jedi mind tricks? But clearly she has to tap into that in a very sort of survivalist situation, at least currently, which I kind of like. Did you also find it hilarious how sort of useless and dinky Hector's gun seemed against the samurai? Yeah, they definitely in this world, they made the guns seem... Like almost like pea shooters, like just yeah. dinky little thing. Because <laughs> he just had his six shooter. He didn't even have the shotgun. Because at first yeah. I'm like, oh, he's gonna wreck these fools, and he's just got this thing out, and he's overwhelmed in less than ten seconds. Yeah, it's they definitely make seem guns in the world as kind of useless. Uh, uh, it's, but it's probably just a pure manpower thing. Uh, yeah, and also intimidation fast. So in between all that, uh, we do get a quick scene between Dolores and Teddy. Where they kind of go back to the place they always go to, I guess, in the hills where they always say their vows to each other about, like, leaving this life and going off and find a quiet place. 
Dolores brings up the whole storyline about like the one season which they lost all their cattle. And I thought whole... this was an old Geller scene going into this. <laughs> I didn't. I was like, I guess maybe she kills him here and throws his body in the lake. <laughs> I yeah, because we're under the idea that she doesn't trust him anymore, or like realizes that like he's not what they. Even if that prior scene in episode three, where she saw him let the Confederales go, had that not happened, it's still just it was so eerie the way she was speaking to him and looking at him. She was like. Let's go for a walk. Let's go. Yeah. Let's go out to the hill. Well, she does many things in this episode to like, I guess she's testing his, his, I guess, programming or boundaries or Every something. time they were together alone, I was like, she's going to kill this guy. <laughs> She's done. <laughs> That's what I'm like with you. No, I'm just joking. Yeah. <laughs> Every time John and I get together and hang out, he's like, is Christian trying to kill me? Yeah, basically. It's like, it's going to kill this guy. Yeah, so basically she kind of just tells a story about the blue tongue disease and Mm. uh, the flies are the ones spreading it and not the cattle themselves, um, which will pop up later, this whole disease metaphor. Back in Shogun world, they're traveling to where the Shogun is. They come across a bunch of uh, dead security guys being hung up in trees where Lee, while taking a piss, grabs a radio from one of them. Oh my gosh, not just a radio, that was like a tablet. Was it a tablet? Yeah, okay. it had a big old display on it. Okay. I thought it was like a just a fancy tablet radio. Wasn't I mean, it could sure. be both, but yeah. it, it has a computer on it, okay. which I imagine at this point in the future, everything is a computer, because almost everything is a computer now. <laughs> Everything's a computer. Um, we are all Westworld. We're all hosts. So we meet the Shogun, uh, who essentially is going mad like Bernard, because we see him leaking... The uh, the brain fluid out of his ear. Uh, he has also cut off the ears or burned the ears off all his followers. Yeah. So because he heard that Maeve can, by voice, control, like she's a witch. Yeah. And she can control all the, you know, people in this world. So they call her a witch. And so he's like, by, which it seems like something like in old times, a mad king would do. Yeah. It was very... This whole sequence felt like Game of Thrones in a very kind of fun Yeah, this was a very Game of Thrones-y episode. It felt similar to Game of Thrones. It was great. Which I loved it. I love the actor who plays the Shogun. Uh, he's a, he's not in anything American. Uh, his name is uh, Masaru Shinazuka, but he's in a bunch of Japanese television and video games. He's, he's in Final name? Fantasy. Masaru Shinazuka? Masaru Shinazuka. Final Fantasy, voice actor, a bunch of other stuff. Oh, I don't really have a lot to say about that scene. It felt by the books like season one Westworld. Yeah, they bring the golden idol to him. In a narrative, characters that aren't in the narrative together, kind of trying to pull something off. It felt very much like Man in Black trying to find something out about the maze. He Well, the Shogun is kind of like the Westworld version of the Gus Fring character, the Loreza character in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the Wyatt character in some ways. Yeah, so he kind of felt this kind of domineering presence and all sorts. And so after that, we get a sex scene, which we don't usually have, <laughs> between, again, another test between Dolores and Teddy. Oh, I thought this was just goodbye sex. I didn't read this being a part of any kind of test. Why would you think this is a test? A, a test of his commitment. Dude, dude's dude got max loyalty already. If, if you look I know, at his I know. chart, it's, he's it's, got it's, max loyalty. It's it's a test of stats we don't really see on the No, thing. I think I this know. was her sort of goodbye. I think she really feels 
remorseful about what she ha- is about to do. She already is in pain by it, but she knows it has to be done. Clearly, she doesn't want to do it because she does it. She could just kill him. She could just not bring him along. But instead, she's just going to bring along this husk of what he once was. So this, I think, was her way of saying I'm sorry and saying goodbye and having like one memory for her to hold on to with him and give him that sort of complete connection before she severs him from her life. Yes. And to kind of cut to that scene, she takes him to this place where there's some sort of rotting corpse or rotting corpses or something. I like to think it's Ford. (laughs) <laughs> it's like all the people that yeah are yeah riding. i like to think it's ford no it looked like a cattle yeah no type. it's probably a cow i'm certain it's probably a cow because then it, it goes back to oh actually can we can we before we do that how could i have forgotten a really incredible small moment with dolores where she's talking about how much she realized she needs him yeah and there's a can on the ground she goes and she picks the can up on her own and Every time she first met Teddy, oh yeah, 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 yeah. She, there, there'd be that can that gets dropped and it rolls, and he would come over and he pick would pick it up. it up and he would give it to her. William did the same thing, and now she's picking up the cans on her own. Yeah, she's realized she does not need him. Yeah, and it was at that moment I was like, "Oh, you done?" Yeah. It's like you, you are not making it out of here. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was definitely a, a symbolism for what was happening here in the future and then it's a great little moment and also i think a nice shot of james marsden's ass post-sex yeah very reminiscent of the season finale in game of thrones yeah i think i i didn't really care for the way that the scene was filmed it just kind of felt just mushed black over white yeah it was well i mean look it's teddy so it's all gonna be missionary (laughs) it's all it's It's all missionary sex and it's all for baby making yeah procreation only (laughs) this is teddy it's 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 yeah the righteous justice sex basically yes okay so let's you know let's not even pretend like that's not the case and i think it was meant to be done to show their embrace of one another and not show the act of sex. Yeah. And yeah. that's why it was done that way. Yeah. They about... didn't want to sexualize the sex because it was meant to show how much she cares about him so that when she cuts his throat, for a matter of speaking, it's all that much worse. Yes. So a couple of things she says to him before he's kind of taken to then be fucked with is that mm-hmm. she says... There's a swarm coming, and if we're going to survive, some of us will have to burn. And then she says, to grow, we all need to suffer. And I think she's talking about her, herself in that sense, where it's like she's suffering and that she has to let go of the man that like she, you know, to a degree, was programmed to love, but that she loves. And degree. this comes back to something you pointed out during the primer to the series, which is that, at least for the hosts, the idea of what is humanity and consciousness suffering is the way that at least they're programmed is an important building block to their own autonomy and sentience and consciousness because at the same time, this mirrors the moment where we see Maeve remembering her suffering and the thing that really brought her into being as we see it happen to Akeen with Sakura. So that story of suffering is mirrored here three times in a matter of ways. And it really points out how like on 
the head, you nailed that in the yeah. lead up to this season because that was something you were guessing was going to be very important for a lot of these characters. Yeah, and I think that's something that is set up in season one a lot of, you know, suffering unlocks a higher understanding. And I think it's also, if you think about humanity, suffering is also what makes us bond with each other. Our shared suffering, even if it's like little things, that's how we really humanize with each other and, and you know, grow empathy and stuff. And that's, you would think that's also the building block for how these hosts would do, also do it. Back in Shogun World, uh, we learned that Sakura has a blossom tree carved into her back. That was that was kind of fucked up. Yeah, it felt really cruel and weird. I don't know what the real significance of that was meant to be. I don't know. I don't know either. I'm not, I haven't really given it too much thought, but maybe just to show the sheer ruthlessness of the world. It's entirely possible that that's all it's meant to signify. Yeah, and it, it starts Akane basically on this sort of path in which she's basically saying the same thing that Maeve, Maeve says to all her, you know, guests in the park, which is about like, oh, I used to grow up in long ago and then, you know, traveled here. And when I got here, it's all about like, you can be who you want to be. And there's a key moment where Maeve basically finishes her sentence because it's the same script. There is a moment in the scene though, where it feels like Akane doesn't want to be free. It's like they have this moment between her and Maeve where it's like, Maeve's like, I can free you. And she's like, I don't want to be free from this, which I thought was kind of an interesting kind of curveball in this whole thing. But then when we get to the actual event where Sakura is supposed to dance for the Shogun, he decides, fuck it. I'm just going to kill Sakura and make Akane dance for me. Yeah. And that's when Akane sort of realizes like, I need to be free. I guess the thing that happens here was he, so he had decided this already. He had made up his mind about who all of these people were. Yeah. Which makes me believe, although he was leaking cortical fluid, he had already reached a level of consciousness that the other people there had not, the other hosts. Yeah, because, because he, he knew, was able he to knew about May their game. He knew about all everything they were doing. And so he was right, though. He never said she would be alive. He just said she could take her. So yeah. he killed her. It's very, very it Joker like in his. Yes, very Joker like. <laughs> uh, um, what do so... you think? I like the Akane dance. It was pretty cool. Uh, something I guess I did not notice, but you noticed in, during this dance, oh which my God, was the it music. Was so awesome! It was so awesome. So the music was "Cream Cash Rules Everything Around Me" by the Japanese-inspired Wu Tang Clan. Is that the only reason why they use this? Or is that is there some reason to the song? No, I think that's part of why. Okay, that's just why. <laughs> I think that's part of why. I, and because it, it just sounded awesome. <laughs> it's sounded, What's great is if you really enjoy the remakes of the music that they do on this show, they actually have them available for download online. You can go Google them. They put them up after the episode airs. So they're official from Westworld. It's pretty amazing. Was it before during or after this scene when they wiped teddy oh it was right before this yeah right that before, they wiped yeah. teddy yeah so i just wanted to discuss that really quick and then we can talk about what happened during that fight scene and then we'll wrap this up but what do you think i mean i saw one of two things basically happen here when they wiped teddy did you notice the guy i was like hey where's the qa guy in episode three yeah he pops back up all right he's alive here he is hanging out Sort of their own little Lee Sizemore they're dragging around. Except yeah. I do not think things will end well for this guy. He seems totally chill, though, for some guy that's a hostage. 
but like Sylvester and Les always look freaked the fuck out or like just in yeah. pain. Where this yeah. guy looked like he was like, yeah, sure, whatever. What do you want me to do? I'll, I'll do it. Kind of, kind of great. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I fucking hate these people. I'll do it. Sure, why not? They wipe him, but that's the thing is they don't wipe him. They overwrite him. So now there's just going to be more than one mind or there's going to be a mind at conflict with itself because it was hard to tell either they did what they did with Maeve where they upgraded her stats and changed them or because it said overwrite, I think it's possible that they wrote another consciousness into him. I think so. I think that's the case. Maybe Dolores. I think that, yeah, they're, they're writing something onto him. It's not the same as what Maeve had done in the sense that Maeve had to be destroyed because they had to rebuild her body. He still has the old body model. Right. Essentially. And they didn't do a reboot. They just did it while he was awake. Yeah. So there's something. He will definitely be a different person going forward. It'd be like having a program open on your computer while it's like updating to a new version. It's It doesn't work that way. It's going to have glitches. Yes. <laughs> And I think that that will end up being Teddy's downfall, which is unfortunate because his character to me was becoming one of the most interesting simply because he had one of the best paths to consciousness being the fact that he was constructed for only two things, to protect Dolores and to defeat Wyatt. And now that they're one in the same being, he should have turned out to be the hero of the show. So I hope that he comes back in some incarnation in the future. And I hope this isn't the last we see of Teddy simply because that feels like a thread that will have been left to hang unless of course he does face down Wyatt and he just simply loses or he comes back as a different character from a different park oh you know that we have not seen yet but who knows yeah where's the teddy of shogun world uh i think it was the guy that got stabbed in the eye (laughs) (laughs) oh god so okay so back to the basically actually what the title of the episode is which is uh, Akane no Mai, which means, you know, the ladies dance or the deep red dance. Akane does her dance in place of Sakura. She buzzsaws the Shogun's head off. <laughs> it was insane. <laughs> that was which, so crazy. Yeah. I was I was like, what's, what's she doing? Oh, God, no. You gotta love the perfect white dress and the face paint and she's just got like the red blood spattered onto her face and dripping down her side it looks incredible yeah it's it's great so then her and Maeve are about to be executed everyone I feel like there but then there is this sort of moment where Maeve and Akane kind of have this link almost like it's like Akane accepts the fact that she wants to be more than herself in this world. She accepts what Maeve is doing and that they're going to unlock themselves. Maeve is turning into like the mind flayer from season two of Stranger Things where she has sort of this hive mind and she's tapping into hosts. Yeah. It's kind of cool. It's a really cool turn for her character. It's great. And she basically sets everybody off to start killing themselves in this camp. And what's it? Actually, what's really incredible about it, too, is we learned the only reason the tribe, the Native Americans, in the previous episode didn't listen to her wasn't because they were conscious. It's because she didn't speak the right language at the time. And what's even funnier about that is also, had they taken Lee, he would have been totally safe. So finding out those little bits of info, it's so funny to see scenes get reframed for us because that scene felt so different. And that, than like, what it, it actually is. 
and that it sort of is this kind of biblical tale of like a lot of bad things in the world often comes down to inability to understand language yeah like mis like decisions are made often mistakes are made because you can't understand what the other side is thinking yeah. or saying one of my favorite superpowers and it's one of the reasons i really like thor is thor has the superpower it's either called the golden or the silver tongue he can understand and speak any language which is why he's able to speak english on earth and as guardian and so whenever we hear him we're hearing what he hears so it's just interpreted as english for us uh, and that's why you can understand groot yes he can yep so Makes it's sense. like that's a amazing superpower because if everyone could just talk to each other the world would be a better place it would be a better place it really would you know if if you had to take one lesson away from this show that would be it just have an open dialogue yeah i think and the episode ends with Maeve basically saying to lee when this army is about to charge in and says like we're all gonna die Maeve says to him i told you we found a new voice and now we're gonna use it yes so that's kind of how the episode ends, which is very much on that what that sub that uh, lesson we just described. She became Neo from the Matrix at yes. the end, and we'll see what she uh, does. Now we don't normally do this on this show, but I you think we specifically should. wanted to talk about this, which is the on the next time on. Yeah, I think I think it's a fun little thing for us to do, and partially because I couldn't now be more excited for the next episode. And why is that? Well, we're going to the cradle. We've got Elsie and Bernard back together, so we've got a Bernard-heavy episode coming up. And quite frankly, as much as I love Maeve, I really do. She's really incredible. No one interests me more in this show than Bernard. I think he is the most interesting character in the whole series. Because he's the most lost of the characters. <laughs> Both in, in the term of, like, he is lost and also he reminds you of the show Lost. We really, I think, compared to every other character on the show, I think we know the least about him. Yeah, he's he's the most John Locke of the... Also, because the next episode looks like it's going to be a reveal of epic proportions. The the It's going to be a I it's going to be a lot of Arnold reveal. The preview alone tells us incredible things. For instance, the preview for next week starts out with Dolores and Arnold talking to each other again, but with a twist. Guess what? That's not Arnold. That's Bern Arnold. <laughs> Bern Arnold. That's Bern Arnold. That's not <laughs> That's how Arnold. We're call them that. Because it's a host in this situation because he says something to her and she goes, no, that's not what we would have said. Meaning, oh my gosh, knows, yeah. all of these sequences that we've been watching them together have now just been reframed for us because all of them have been a narrative test on Bernard, not for Dolores. Yep. It's a huge fake out. It's a, it's a two season fake out now. They already did a fake out with us once when we thought... That it was Bernard talking to her all last season. We find out, oh, it's a flashback well, to Arnold. we don't know exactly when, you know, Arnold ends and Bernard begins. Right. And we could be just seeing one of the last conversations that Bernard and Dolores had. And which she reveals that, like, oh, actually, I know that you're not what you are. Well, and so that's the thing. We saw Dolores when she met Bernard at the camp. She was like, you don't even... You're not that man. I know that man. You, you're you not that man. And the reason she knows that, not just because she killed him, but because she was a part of the narrative tests in the yep. same way that the man in black was for James Delos, because he gets up and says something and she says, that's not what he would have said. That's her saying, like, you're not replicating this person well enough. 
starting to make me lead to believe that maybe that red ball again is Arnold. Maybe there's a third Arnold that we're not aware of. Maybe this new one with the glasses is a different or without the glasses. Arnold. But maybe not. I still I real I'm really struggling with this so much because I still also very 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 strongly believe that the man in black is a host now. Now, another thing they show us is in the cradle and Bernard's putting on like a VR system. Yeah, he can access old like memories almost. I don't think he's just accessing old memories. I think he's seeing things live and up to date, which is I think we're seeing how not only he ends up possibly wiping host memories and destroying the cradle or why he destroys the cradle, but also how he gets all those hosts killed because maybe he taps in. It's like Cerebro in X-Men. Well, that would explain then the title of the next episode. Oh, what is it? It is called Phase Space. (laughs) So I believe Bernard will be doing some phasing through space. We're going to have a little bit of an X-Men episode. We're not going to spend a ton of time on it each one, but I think two minutes, a little bit of fun theorizing. I'm clearly very excited about this next episode. <laughs> uh, me too. I think every episode now, I'm excited to see the next. This, this I would actually say so far, has been the lowest episode of the season. I still think it's incredible. I loved it, but I think it is the lowest Yeah, I think every episode so far has been great. Even yeah. the ones that are maybe not as deep. It's also hard to say, just because last episode was the best of the series. That is true. So, Um, I mean, comparing anything to that, no matter what followed it up, that was... uh, And and like next week's episode, I will also be phasing out of this space for a moment. Oh, that's right. You won't be here. So, I will be hosting next week with a friend of the show, Omar Najam. Omar is a great person to have come on and do this, not only because he watches Westworld, which is important, but Omar has long, similar to us, done another television rewatch and recap series. So he is very familiar to this kind of format. He did both Buffy and Angel for several years. So he is very familiar with the science fiction and fantasy space. He is going to be a great ad next week. So it'll be myself and Omar, and then John will be back the following week. John, where are you going to be? I'm going to get being uh, reprogrammed by the uh, Dallas Corporation. So I'll be... Can I'll be you... What skill... What so. skill would you have them add? The golden tongue. Yeah, that's a great skill. <laughs> like you said, I, w- I would have Thor's tongue. That's that a way. great skill. It'd be great. So I won't be here next week, but Christian, in the meantime, where can uh, listeners find you? Well, again, as a reminder, go ahead, subscribe, share, review, like our show. Hashtag Watchworld. If you want to talk to us about it on Twitter, I will engage you with your theories. Or if you want to complain about mine or tell me why I'm wrong and why this was the best episode of the series and the season, I will be up for it on Twitter at Christian underscore Humes. And you can find me at Johnny B. Good in L.A., both on Twitter and Instagram. Also interact with me there. And we oh, actually, uh, yeah, the show will see you next time on Phase Space with Watchworld. And Christian, I found a new voice. Now we use it.